0: And welcome to the Emergent Podcast. Got Dr. Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: It is great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So a lot of talk this week about uh, privacy um, and the, the C-suite going on. Is the C-suite ready for figuring out whether or not there's risk involved with uh, with privacy?
1: I think no one is really <laughs> fully ready for the level of privacy issues that we have in front of us. You know, we've seen examples over the last few months of, uh, let's call it overstepping with use of I- individual data, with use of intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we even recently saw Zoom be willing to roll back their policy around using our conversations to train their AI models. So I uh, was quite impressed with their. Leadership's some interest in what their user base had to say about that and being willing to roll back their policy and do something different so even though it is a you know it's a hot mess actually in the <laughs> everything around ai right now and the data privacy implications of it is a little bit unwieldy whether you're an executive or whether you're somebody that's just trying to figure out how to protect your kids in this environment it's we have a lot that we've got to work through.
0: Do you think that Zoom management was surprised by uh, the blowback from that? Um, and if they were surprised, why do you think that was?
1: They were surprised. I actually spoke with the COO directly, and she asked me that question why do you feel, She asked me, do you feel like what we're doing is worse than what some of the others in the marketplace are doing? And I'm paraphrasing here, but the reality is no. I mean, actually what they were planning to do with regard to using the content of recorded meetings is being done by Microsoft and their Teams platform every day. It's being done by Google and their in their Google Meet platform every day. I mean, there are many in the marketplace that are doing this. So was what they were doing worse? Absolutely not. And that's why I want to speak out on their behalf and say kudos to them for taking direct feedback and altering their path because those that are their biggest competitors have not done that, have not responded or even really asked for how people feel. Uh, I'm going to take that one step forward. They're not even being transparent about what's happening, right? What's really happening with the content of conversations that we assume are private between ourselves and whoever is on with us. So why were they surprised? They were surprised because others are doing this every day and no one is saying anything about it. But I think that to Zoom's credit, they have created a tighter interaction and they've been much more transparent historically with their customers than some of their competitors have. And as a result of that, it raises our expectations for their behavior. So the good news is that they're well thought of in the marketplace. And the, the you know, kind of the double edged sword of that for them was that they're being held somewhat to a higher standard than their competitors.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's almost as if all of a sudden people started reading the end user license agreement at the last second. I I was kind of I was surprised that people even caught on to it and assumed that everybody understood that everything was being, uh, you know, trained on, being recorded, being used, that you're up anything you're uploading to a social media platform or any kind of a, you know, like a Google kind of of, of a platform with Google Meets or what have you, all of them pretty much say, hey, you know what, we can do whatever we want with this. Uh, and so I was surprised that there was blowback in the first place. And I guess I can understand why they were surprised by it. Um, but I guess they must have just been transparent about it, put it out there, and everybody said, whoa, no, that's not what we want to do. And if the rest of the giant uh, tech companies were doing that, we'd probably see a lot more uh, blowback from that as well. You know, So it seems... Good good for them.
1: Yeah, I think that there's a, in general, I want to delineate between products that we pay for and products where we, as the free to use it users, are getting services. Um, that we don't pay for, right? So if I am getting a service that I don't pay for, let's take social media. If I'm not paying for access to to Facebook, then I realize that I am the product. And I think we're very, we understand that. We're advertised to all of the time. Our data is overtly used. I think in general, people understand that. But if I'm paying for a product, I assume that I have an elevated level of privacy because I am paying for that product. And I think that's the place where people are really frustrated that it's one thing if I agree to allow you to to use my data so that I can get something in return for that. But when I'm actually paying you for a service, then that's pretty concerning. And so I'm going to take a very specific example in an enterprise situation if I am with company A and you're with company B and we have a non-disclosure agreement in between us not to, uh, not to expose the conversations that we have to others, are we inherently both breaking our NDA simply by using one of these platforms that is recording our conversations and using it for training purposes, using it for model training purposes? So I don't know, what's the answer to that question?
0: Yeah. I think yeah. about that all the time. That's sort of the, you know, I use signal a lot, even, you know, I mean, it's, uh, we're not trying to hide it. It's just maybe we don't want uh, everything to uh, train on conversations about what we're talking about as far as the business model goes, you know, it, you never know where that's just going to wind up. Same thing with uh, GitHub code repositories. That's a huge issue, right? When you're, when, when you've got something that shows up uh, that you've, had private repositories trained on by Microsoft, which owns GitHub. That's just, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Is that a derivative work? You know, I mean, uh, nobody, nobody else, no comp- programmers are not supposed to be able to uh, to be looking at my, at the source code.
1: Exactly. I mean, and that's at the core of products and services that differentiate one company from another, right? That code is core to the way that you create revenue as that is the organization that owns that code. So is that, does that give unacceptable access largely to somebody? I mean, you may be using their product, but you may, for example, in GitHub, you may be using GitHub, but you may actually be creating something that competes against Microsoft. So is it, is it OK for Microsoft to be training models, to be creating derivative works in the background off of your intellectual property? I, I have, my my yeah. gut says yeah. no. My gut right. tells me right. that that's not OK.
0: I don't think anybody thought that they were training uh, AI on private repositories, which are paid for. I think everybody assumed that they were on uh, public repositories for open source, which is fine because it's out there. That's what—that's the whole point. It's open source, but private uh, repos that are paid for was quite a shocker. So I think that's sort of you know, it's shocking that you know, or or even the comedians who are suing, you know, that that's a that's a really interesting intellectual property conversation. And I guess everybody now. As, a, as an enterprise has to start to think about that. What are we accidentally copying? What are we accidentally doing? What of our own intellectual property is being copied? And what does that even mean? You know, it's like, and I guess like Mark Andreessen said, AI is an architecture, it's not a feature. And so you have to sort of look at that as a holistic way of, of going about that, re-architect the organization around that. Is that, is that happening now? Or are you seeing, you know, c-suite executives who are trying to figure out how do we re-architect our 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 whole process around ai at this point or is it still viewed for by the for the most part as sort of like maybe it's a feature we add into this
1: there is a dawning of understanding across executives and boards i've spent a lot of time in boardrooms this year helping organizations to really begin to understand the ramifications of what's happening with artificial intelligence. And we've got, you know, we have global legal ramifications that everything from the data standards to what's happening with different AI laws around the world. You know, so we've got that global challenge. We've got industry level challenges about what is okay to do, what is not okay to do? We've got workforce level challenges about how are we going to design solutions that are going to be to put AI in partnership with humans instead of replacing humans, which, by the way, there's loads of evidence that organizations that lean too heavily on automation and you know AI in this sense is really taking automation to an all new level, but there are there's a lot of research and uh, enterprise examples of organizations who have had massive failures as a result of over reliance on automation instead of looking for opportunities to use these tools in concert with humans so That, fortunately, many at the executive and at the board level understand how important it is to be looking for these partnership opportunities between tech and humanity. And so that's one thing that's very encouraging. But many are just now starting to understand how big this particular challenge is, that it is a massive change effort. If you're going to bring artificial intelligence in a significant way into your environment, it's not a technology effort. Yes, it's a tech effort. But it's more of an overall enterprise-wide, ecosystem-wide, including their partners, including their customers. It is a massive change effort. And that is the underlying reality that these executives are starting to grasp.
0: I sort of... Cut my teeth back in the you know 90s, where some po- some companies were sort of like ah the web it's a fad we don't need one of those web page thingies you know and there you know others were you know obviously it, uh, the 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 story I always tell is sort of pitching Amazon or I'm sorry pitching uh, Borders on you know maybe take this uh, mid-range IBM computer you have and sort of put it online a little bit so that people could you know maybe buy the book online and they thought I was insane. Uh, And then they wound up partnering with Amazon to do that many years later, sort of to bolt it on at the end. Uh, But they still never thought that that was going to be a problem. And here we are where there is no there is no borders anymore. Um, And there was a lot of companies like that, not like pets.com. Obviously, the dog food pets uh, supply thing didn't really work out as the poster child for uh, excess in that era. But there was a lot of companies that were slow to adopt. Uh, or slow to adapt to this and thought it was just going to kind of go away or that it didn't apply to them or that it was just like, oh, well, maybe we'll put a website up and, you know, it's a feature. But they, it took them years and years to realize that they really need to fundamentally rethink the way that they're approaching this. You know, is that is that what's happening now? Are, are there a lot of companies that are still sort of saying, well, I don't think it really makes a big difference to us. We don't really care. We don't need chat GPT. Like that's you know the be all end all of AI or something, um, or are there more that are are quickly embracing this despite the fact that they're surprised at how much how how far, far behind the curve they may or may not be.
1: It's it's an interesting environment because what I'm seeing is not necessarily what we expected. The first is that. Obviously, those companies that tend to be leading edge, that tend to be tech first companies there, they already have, I mean, I have one client that has over 50 use cases of AI already embedded in their environment, and and only a few of those have been done in the last year. In direct opposition to the other end of that scale, which is what are typically laggard companies, many of these laggard companies, to their credit, are seeing the opportunity with AI to recapture market. Mm. And so Mm. some of these organizations, it's been very interesting to see who's really stepped forward and held up their hands and their board members are going, hey, this is an inflection point. We have the opportunity here to step forward and recapture, kind of reinvigorate our brand, recapture the imagination of our customers and do things that we haven't really been known for even for a decade or longer. So some of these companies that have not necessarily been ones that I would have anticipated would be early to step into the fray are very interested and excited and are educating themselves and challenging their organizations to think differently and to really take advantage of this inflection point that's being created, particularly by generative AI. There's so much interest in the possibilities with Gen AI that it's really captured the imagination of people that haven't historically been interested in a tech solution at all. So that has been a really fun thing for me to learn over the last year is that It's not necessarily just those organizations that we think of as tech first that are willing to step in. And so, you know, what this tells me though is that organizations who think they're just gonna wait and see, like if you go back to the example you gave about the internet, there were a lot of companies that were like, well, we'll just wait and see, you know, we'll kind of hold on. Those organizations that think that's the safe way to go, I have news for you. Not doing anything is high risk, yeah, because yeah. even those companies that are are historically technology laggards, even they are investigating and jumping in, so doing nothing, not a low risk solution.
0: Yeah, it seems like generative AI right now is sort of like the killer app that, like it was with the PC, you know it's like it's the VisiCalc. For for AI that allows uh, non mathematicians to see what are the obvious sort of use cases are, be impressed by it, and let their imagination run wild. It feels like that's kind of what happened. That generative AI, uh, if that's you know images or artwork, or if that's just the text in the chatbot version of it, um, is sort of captured the imagination of the C-suite and given them. Something to sort of latch onto that says, Wow, this is actually understandable rather than trying to read like you know bayes theorem as a as a math and figure out how are we supposed to apply that now so it's sort of like the the perfect killer app that's come along. Do you think that that's well, I think it's obviously helping uh c level executives to try to imagine how that could affect the the organization. do you think that that's bringing it? Uh, AI in general to the top of what it is that they're thinking about now? That's uh, what's, the, you know, as far as what's important. Uh, and if it's not at the top right now, what is?
1: Well, I, I, statistically, there's new research out that one third of boards have talked about generative AI in the last since 2023 started. So a third of boards have had it on their agendas, and a fourth of executives are actively using generative ai in their daily work. So this has, you know, that that is huge. I mean, what technology are you aware of that with it within just a few months has executive level individuals playing with it, learning what it means, using it front lines themselves. I can't even remember a time when we've had a technology that an executive a quarter of executives would be investing their own time to learn how to use it every day. That is highly unusual. And so what we see from that is that this democratized access to this technology, I think, is what has just exploded the interest of what is possible with it, And quite literally, being able to embed it in your work, use it, see the impacts of it yourself as an individual leader. What better way than to use it yourself and to figure out, hey, this thing is really powerful? And so I think that it is important right now for us to continue to get others using it. Because the fascinating thing is there's a very small percentage of, in the US anyway, there's a very small percentage of the US population who's actually trying like chat GPT, for example, or any of the other large language models. And so we've got to continue to educate and raise awareness because what that means at the individual worker level is, our workforce actually isn't learning to use these tools as fast as the executives are and that's mm-hmm. you know that's that's upside down that's literally inverted to anything we've seen in history so We've got to continue to raise awareness and get people to start to at least try to use the tool so they see some of the impact. The media is certainly doing their part to make people aware mm-hmm. of uh, what's happening every single day. We see nor- news stories about, uh, about generative AI and the impacts of it. So, you know, we're going to continue to see that. We're going to continue to see investments from every company. Uh, across industries, we're seeing huge investments from our governments as well. So this train it has has left the station.
0: That's amazing that a quarter of executives are using it in their day to day work. Uh, and like you said, I've never heard of an adoption rate like that, uh, especially at the executive. There's usually the last ones there's, you know, they were, you <laughs> you know, know, they were, they were printing out their email, them. you know. And here we are; they're using it every day. I wonder if that just keeps generating a, a brainstorming, you know, thing for them, so that they're looking at that and saying, "Well, what else is possible?" Are they aware? That, you know, anecdotally, are, are you aware of the, that? They're aware that there's other kinds of AI, like genetic algorithms and uh, Bayesian uh, algorithms, and that neural networks do other things, and you really don't need 50,000 GPUs to read the entire internet um, and turn it into a chat bot, but that you can optimize a process, right? You can make a prediction. Do, are they starting to learn, in, you know, if they are, it's amazing because it's only been a couple of years really for this adoption wave to happen. Are they starting to learn like what does AI do well and what doesn't it do? For example, you know, AI is good at optimizing a process. Um, it's good at making a prediction. Uh, given a lot of data that's labeled um, and not not a whole lot else right it's classify. it can classify things but if you can think about that in terms of your architecture of your whole business and you can think about those use cases and break them up into smaller pieces you can really start to look at the company uh, really differently have you seen uh, that that they're evolving their usage of using say something like chat gpt to begin to understand more thoroughly how this might apply?
1: Well, the first thing I always do with these executives and board groups is say, saying artificial intelligence is a bit like saying ice cream. There are a lot of different flavors of ice cream and there are a lot of different flavors of artificial intelligence. And so starting with some basic education about what does the term artificial intelligence, what does that really mean? And helping them to understand that that there are multiple types and that these different types are going to have different impacts on them and on their business and on what's happening in the global environment. So, you know, really kind of raising the conversation to have some of those core definitional understandings is something that I help clients to do all the time, and then counsel them in two separate areas that what is happening with artificial intelligence is it's creating disruption along two primary paths, and those paths are, kind of low-hanging fruit, even the most risk-averse organization, they're still open to playing with productivity impacts of using things like generative AI to help write an email. You know, if you're using Google Docs and you're writing an email and it's predicting text, that is generative AI, right? So if you are, um, and and so even those risk-averse companies are open to dialogue about how do we raise productivity of our everyday staff by using generative AI tools. They're all open to that. So that's path one. Path two tends to be organizations that are falling into one of two camps. Path two is all about revenue generation. And how can I use artificial intelligence, whatever flavor of AI, to either create new products and services or alter or improve my existing products and services? and those tend to be one of two camps either organizations who tend to be tech first thinkers and they are really out in front and they're very comfortable with the the idea of using ai to drive revenue or i'm seeing this really strong emergence of these typically laggard companies with regard to technology evolution i'm seeing them step forward and say okay we're going to get really creative and we're going to rethink how we're going to market what we're going to market with and we're going to be open to ideas that we haven't considered in the past and so that has been really interesting so those two paths of ai disruption productivity and revenue creation are very important topics for executives and boards
0: hmm. how how are they educating themselves on this now i mean are they it's it's a deep topic you know the chat gpt skims the surface of it uh i would it's impossible to say that companies unless they're already in the tech space have a deep roster of people who have an understanding of this so it's like you have to uh not just i I don't think retrain is the right word right everybody has to sort of self-educate at this point how are how are companies going about doing that are there are they being directed like are you know certain levels of employees being directed to go do this are people taking online, you know, courses or whatever? Are they bringing people in to, to learn it? I mean, it's, it's a deep, deep dive. Uh, and it's, it just seems like nobody three years ago had anybody that had any idea on the roster, you know? So now they, they've got to, you know, basically retrain the whole entire roster to figure, out, figure it out. You
1: know, the really interesting thing is that in many ways it's being individual-led. And what I mean by that is if you have a really forward-thinking chief information officer, they are, you know, driving that dialogue, driving conversations, getting the board educated, bringing in vendor partners to help to raise understanding and awareness uh, for their peers and for their boards. But we're also seeing a uh, individuals that are at the workforce level that are the ones who have taken it upon themselves to go out and learn things on their own time, learn how to use a myriad of different AI tools. Many of them are taking advantage of online training that their companies make available, whether they realize it or not. So, for example, many use LinkedIn learning courses And their company has provided them with a license to take whatever training is available on LinkedIn Learning. Many of them have chosen to educate themselves about artificial intelligence, even though that's not something that their organizations have pushed them or encouraged them to do. So I'm seeing everything, you know, individual led. And what I mean by that is it could be somebody that's really It got significant influence and power in an organization, or it could be somebody that's a front lines individual who comes in and says, hey, did you know we could be doing this? Did you know we could re-architect this business process? Did you know that we can take out 30% of the tasks that we're doing on a daily basis that are really boring and replace them with this higher level work? Because this is what I've been able to do. And they're doing this as individuals and then that information is spreading. Now, many organizations are taking a very top down, we're gonna educate everybody, we're gonna bring in full educational resources from the top down, I have uh, you know I have clients that are doing that as well but in general I would encourage Every individual person, you have the power to make impact in your circle and even in your greater organization. So even if you're at a point in your career where you're like, well, I don't have that kind of influence or power, you would be amazed at what you can create, the impact you can create if you take some ownership and really step forward, because this is such a point of disruption that we are looking for leadership. And that doesn't have to be only from the formal C-suite down.
0: That's the opportunity. That's- you know, if there's a huge opportunity, uh, AI should be and will be an amplifier of skills. Um, it doesn't have to be a replacer of that. Those that move, like you just described, that move forward, that embrace that and make themselves far more productive as an individual contributor, uh, that just adds to the whole entire thing. Nobody's going to get replaced from that. You've just 10 x yourself. You've just 100 x yourself. I remember there was and back in the 90s, again, you know, the mid-90s at this point, there was 55 guys, I think, that were, you know, the CIO or the CTO or the C made up some initial O of companies at that point who didn't have any kind of web presence at all. They didn't understand any of it. And they were doing just the most rudimentary types of things. And they would had to get together with each other. To sort of figure out what is it that that we're even doing here what is what are these web pages how do we all use the server for it it was really really rudimentary stuff to the point where half of the c-level executives job was scanning pictures from the catalog on a scanner and trying to figure out how to get them to show up on on web pages there was a point back then in the internet revolution the web revolution where that was the case and those people that came along and took advantage of that, that wasn't their job to begin with. Uh, that's what they evolved into. They were doing something completely different from that. And they wound up being, you know, on the forefront of how to operationalize and execute that. And I'm, I think that's that's the opportunity for everybody right now is take this technology and use it as your own personal leverage within the company to make yourself 100 times uh, more valuable and, you know, Everybody could do that. There could be a situation where not any, not one single person needs to lose a job over AI. You know, the more, the more powerful it is, and the more that you can just grab a hold of it and harness it. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's the power. That's the opportunity.
1: I agree. I, I just want to amplify what you said that if you take ownership of your own learning and you invest in yourself and and help those around you, if you help to elevate those around you, I mean, I, I counsel executives all the time. If you have felt like your career is stalled, if you have felt like you've been relegated to back office work and you're not really leading your organizational direction, you're not getting the influence, you don't wield the influence that you wish that you would, then embrace artificial intelligence, become the face of it for your organization, learn, be the one that's always a step ahead of the others in your organization. And that applies whether you're a board member, whether you're an executive, or whether you are a frontline staff member, you all have this opportunity to embrace this pivot in this moment in time And turn it to your advantage. I have absolutely no doubt that those individuals who step forward and embrace this, that they are going to not only not lose their jobs, but they're going to be better employed than they are today as a result of that investment in themselves and learning and moving forward with change.
0: Perfectly stated, and uh, I agree wholeheartedly with the uh, optimism. I think that's uh, that's uh heartwarming almost so boy does the time fly we've already uh went through our whole entire episode this week um but thank you so much for stopping by i think there's there's even more to talk about this we should do a follow-up episode
1: i'd be happy to come back it's been a pleasure and the time did fly
0: thank you so much